بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي أنزل قرآنا عربيا وحدانا صراط سويا والصلاة والسلام على محمد الذي بعث رسول النبي وعلى آله وصحبه الذين سلكوا طريقا مرضيا أما بعد my respected elders dearest brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته my friends when individuals are left unattended for a long time without guidance, without people to check up on them, without supervision, what you find is that those individuals begin to deviate or begin to gravitate towards their fitrah, their natural disposition. If their natural disposition is one which is enticed and which is thrilled by sin, then you will find them being the first as to those who will be sinning. And if those individuals are such that they gravitate towards good, then regardless of supervision or not, their heart will always tell them that what they are doing is wrong or right, and they will always want to gravitate towards the thing which is right or wrong, or, or what is right in this matter. When insan or when mankind go without an individual to guide them, you will find them lost. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets of Allah, لِتَبْلِيغِ ahkam, so that he can tell his community what they need to do as far as what Allah desires. If Allah desires prayer, then they will tell them that you must start praying now. If Allah wants them to perform another act, then the job of the Prophet is to tell that community that you must perform such and such acts. That is the job of a Prophet. And no Prophet had it harder in terms of telling his community what to do and how to perform than the Prophet Because he was sent during a time which was a fatra. This is a period in which no prophet has been sent. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this in Surah Ma'idah. Ya ahl al-kitab, qad ja'akum rasooluna. That, O oh, people of the book, our prophet has come to you. Yubayyinu lakum. And he has come to you in order to tell you what is right and what is wrong. Ala fatra. Okay, he's come to you at a time where the, the, the progression and the succession of prophets had stopped. People had now fallen into misguidance to such an extent that now a prophet has come, he is now going to guide you upon the right path. The Prophet ﷺ had a community who had innovated so many new forms of disbelief during the time in which no prophet was sent that to now bring them upon the straight path was incredibly difficult because what they had learned and what they had done was fixed in their lives. It was embedded. It was firm in their life. It was written in stone for them. And for somebody to come with these new ideas that there is only one God, that no longer can we worship idols, that what you have been doing and what your forefathers have been doing, one after the other, has all been incorrect. What you are teaching your children are all incorrect. You now need to go to this new form of thinking of this one Lord. It was incredibly difficult. The Prophet ﷺ immediately is met with so many people who are against him. Those people who were within his family members up to yesterday he was calling them uncle are the very same individuals who tomorrow are trying to plot his death and are trying to plot harassing him, assassinating him, 
vilifying him in the community, making disparaging comments about him. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ had said himself that I have been harassed like no other has been harassed in the, in the, in the, in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I have gone through things which no other has gone through in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There were days, he mentions, there were days in his life that there would be nothing to eat. There was nobody to turn to. My friends, if you are starving, you know, and I know, if you are starving, that somewhere along the road, you will find someone to meet you. But what happens if you're an enemy of state? If your name is on every billboard? If you're on every news channel, nobody wants to know you. That everyone who sees you dislikes you immediately. Everyone who hears about you hears lies about your name. This is what happens to the Prophet ﷺ. There is nobody to turn to because everybody you turn to wants to be rid of you. And therefore you have the Prophet ﷺ in a situation where he says, Myself and Bilal radiallahu anhu, look at whom his closest support is. Bilal radiallahu anhu, who was a person who was, preju prejudice was made against him because of the color of his skin, because he was a black man. And he was shackled and he was fettered and he was pushed into slavery. His closest confidant, the closest person that the Prophet ﷺ can look to for support is a person who doesn't even have rights in society himself. He's being oppressed. This shows you how you know, die the situation was with the Prophet ﷺ. He says that days would come where we would have nothing to eat for 30 days. And the amount we ate in these 30 days could be hid by Bilal radiallahu anhu in his armpit. Okay, that's how little they had to survive. My friends, my purpose isn't to discuss the fatra or the period in which no prophet came. My purpose today is to show you and to highlight to you. This is just a preamble. This is just a precursor. My purpose is to show you the things that these individuals suffered, the things that these individuals had to go through in order for us to ascertain this belief. My friends, this belief didn't come to us just by us adorning new clothes every day and going to work. My friends, people had died for us to be able to say, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. People had lost blood, lost family members. People had toiled, people had cried, rivers of tears in order for this Iman, which we hold with such you know, low or, or, or less importance to the extent that if we are happy to compromise our faith or we are happy to let go of it altogether or perhaps we are embarrassed by it to the extent that that individual who has been named Dawood, when he is asked by his members at work, what's your name? He will not want to say Dawood. My name is Dave. Okay? This is our situation. This is unfortunately our situation. And it leads on from the last khutbah that I delivered regarding Umar radiallahu anhu. That he said that we are a community whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave honor through iman, belief. Where will we be if we let go of this belief? So understand the belief of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and the time in which they lived. Miqdad radiallahu anhu was a great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, during the Battle of Badr, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had made Miqdad a leader of one of the flanks of the army. You understand his position that he has to, he's, if he's in charge of a part of the army, then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam holds him in very high esteem. He was sitting. When a man, and this is after the demise of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, many years after his passing away. 
he's sitting on a road where an individual passes by him and he sees Mikdadi sitting there and he proclaims loudly, Blessed are the eyes that have seen the Prophet ﷺ. And he's referring to Mikdad radiallahu anhu. And he says, we wish that we could see what you had seen and we could have been part of the time in which you were a part of. What he's saying to Mikdad radiallahu anhu is basically, we also wish that we were from the Sahaba. We also wish that we were alive during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So we could have gained this sharaf and this honor of being a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. Mikdad radiallahu anhu begins to flare up with anger. He becomes incredibly angry. And the narrator who, of this particular incident, who was there and who witnessed it, says that I found this quite strange as to why Mikdad was getting angry. This man hasn't said anything out of the ordinary. We all wish to be part of the Prophet sallallahu companions and, and, and be a part of his companionship. So why was Mikdad getting angry? Mikdad then says to this man, what makes this man wish to be alive in a time that Allah has saved him from? There were people who saw the Prophet ﷺ, who heard what he had to say, but they will be thrown face first into the fire of Jahannam. What he is referring to is that this person thinks that, what makes this person think that he, he will be alive in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and he would have accepted what the Prophet ﷺ had to say. There were people there who witnessed it, who listened to it, who saw these miracles, these mu'ajizat that Allah had blessed him with. They saw the Qur'an verses being revealed. My friends, understand how the Qur'an was revealed. We get so excited when our weekly TV series that we have been waiting for comes out every week. If maybe the show hasn't been shown for three weeks, we're thinking, when is the next episode out? For the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they took that thrill and that excitement from the wahi. To the extent that Umhani radiallahu anha, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had passed away, or perhaps this was Um Ayman, my memory doesn't serve me right at this moment, but one of the elderly women of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's company, when he had passed away, she was found crying. And Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma went to approach her and ask her as to why. And she said, I'm not crying because of the demise, but I'm crying because the, the, the revelation and the succession of revelation after revelation, hearing new words from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being told about things of the past, all of this has now come to an end. Okay, so Mikdad says there were people during the time who heard what the Prophet ﷺ had to say, lived through it in its entirety. Every last moment they saw the Prophet ﷺ, what he was preaching, what he was trying to tell the community. They heard him reciting the Quran. All of these things which we wish we could have heard, they heard. But they will be the first people to be thrown face fire into the uh, face uh, first into the fire. Why? Because they did not accept what the Prophet ﷺ had brought. Despite living in that time, they were individuals who were hurting him, who were saying foul things to him. So Mikdad says, What does this man think? Does he think that he would be one of those individuals who would be granted Iman, who would be lucky enough to call themselves a Muslim? He says that the, the situation was so dire, and he mentions Fatra. He says that the time in which the Prophet ﷺ had come was so difficult that no other Prophet had been sent in a time as difficult as this. People had not had a Prophet for a long time, so they were steeped in the worship of idols. They saw nothing better than worshipping idols. When people would bring Iman and would bring Islam, their situation would be so sad that they would never truly be at peace because though they themselves had become Muslims, 
family members had still not accepted it. So they would not totally be in, in, in a place where they would have the coolness of their eyes. My friends, it's very easy for us. We can't understand this in that our families are all Muslim. We've been born in succession of, of, of Muslim families. Our grandfather is Muslim. Our great-grandfather is Muslim. Family after family after family is Muslim. But my friends, ask those poor individuals, ask those individuals who have come and who have reverted or converted back into Islam. And what you find with these individuals is that they are the loneliest people on Eid. Okay, they have nobody to celebrate with. In the month of Ramadan where we are, are, are enjoying ourselves in the morning with our family and we are discussing what we're going to be eating for iftar, they are there in the darkness of the morning eating whatever they can, enjoying whatever little time they have and then going back to sleep. There is nobody to share this with them. And what if their family don't enjoy what they are doing, that they are a Muslim? What if their family don't accept it? And one of the greatest hardships that a Muslim who has recently come into the faith has to feel is, well, what will happen to me in the hereafter and what will happen to my family in the hereafter? This mother who I love, this mother who, I, who has cared for me, who has carried me in, my, in, in her stomach for nine months, this father who has cherished me and who has taught me all these great values, what will happen to them in the hereafter? So Mikdad says this was the situation among the Sahaba because they were all new Muslims now. That a person would become Muslim, but he would never ever be able to be content and happy and in a comfortable state because he would know that if in this time his father passed away or his mother passed away and they had not been gifted with the treasure of Iman, then his abode and their abode in the hereafter will be different. That when they do take that final breath, then where will they meet in the hereafter? And as a result, they would never be in a state where their eyes would be cool or meaning that they would be in a comfortable state which is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in Surah Furqan that oh Allah make from our family members from our partners and from our children the coolness of our eyes that we are completely happy and we are completely content with them may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to recognize this iman inshallah we will uh, cons we will continue discussing this I am uh, uh, punctual on time uh, and therefore, I will not exceed my limit. <coughs> Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa katha wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah ma ba'd. My respected elders, dearest brothers and sisters, at this point we have been speaking about the efforts and the endeavors of the early Muslims regarding their faith. And that this faith did not come to us with ease. It came to us with individuals who had to die. It came to us with individuals who lost their family members. It came to, it came to us with individuals who cried rivers of tears. My friends, the situation of the early Muslims was such that who can forget them? Who can forget the likes of Bilal ibn Rabah radiallahu anhu, who was a individual, as I mentioned previously, a slave in, in the society and who was further discriminated against because of his skin color. He was an Abyssinian slave. He was an individual that despite being tortured and despite being kicked and despite being punished, he would still yell the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even in the mountains of Mecca. 
to the extent that the punishment which was given to him was the ultimate disgrace. Generally, the way Muslims would be punished in that community was that they would be forced to wear armor of metal and they would be forced to go out in the sweltering heat and they would be forced to stay in that heat so that metal begins to burn their bodies. At times they were forced to lay upon coal. At times they were sworn that they were threatened that they were to be stabbed. But you have Bilal radiallahu anhu who had all of that. But where other people would be, would stop by, by or, or, or they would be, or, or refrain from hurting more. With Bilal radiallahu anhu, they would give him the ultimate disgrace. That not only are we going to abuse him, we are going to allow our children to disgrace him as well. And therefore they would grab him by a rope and they would pull him into the mountains of Mecca and they would take him around the streets of Mecca and the pathways of Mecca and humiliate him. This is the way an individual carries a beast, an animal. He has a leash for them. And this is what they would do with Bilal radiallahu anhu. However, when they would ask him to renounce the faith of Islam, he would be shouting out, Ahad, Ahad, that there is only one Allah, there is only one Allah. And his shouts and his screams in the mountains of Mecca could be heard in the central area of Mecca. My friends, look at his belief and how Allah rewarded him. That his yelling of Ahad, Ahad was such that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him the tawfiq and the ability to be the early caller of the prayer that we do on a regular basis. That the first individual who made his statement regarding the adhan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed Bilal radiallahu anhu. You had the young Muslims, the likes of Uthman and Zubair radiallahu anhuma. Uthman is tied by his uncle upside down and his uncle says that I'm not going to let you go from this place until you leave the faith of Islam. You have Zubair radiallahu anhu who is wrapped up in a carpet and a spire is lit underneath him so the smoke is going in his face. And he is told renounce your faith because if you do not renounce your faith you will not be left, you will not be allowed to leave from here. And even he doesn't renounce his faith. You have Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiallahu anhu who is made to lie upon burning coal and he himself mentions that people would tread upon his body and the only way the coal would be burnt out and extinguished would be through the pus of, of uh, uh, Khabbab bin Arat. This was his situation. This was the belief that was so important to them. Something which was the core of their life. The most important manner for the, hera for the, the most important man matter for the hereafter. You have Abdullah ibn Hudhafa radiallahu anhu and this is the story that I will conclude upon that during the Khalifate of Umar radiallahu anhu, he was sent out with a group of Muslims, perhaps around 80 or 90 Muslims. And what happened at this time was that he was captured by the Romans. When he was captured by the Romans, news spread fast to the leader that there is a man from among them who was a companion of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. If you are able to sway him, then you will have swayed a companion's faith and this will lead to many people also following him as well. And so they bring Abdullah ibn Hudhafa al-Sahmi radiallahu anhu in front of them. And they have him in a, in a, in, in a mansion, in a palace, almost Colosseum-like and there are people watching the, 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 the noble men are there. Everyone is there waiting to see what will happen. And the Roman king says to him that my friend, I will give you half of my kingdom if you renounce your faith in the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu And his response is that, oh Roman king, that if you were to give me half of your kingdom, not half your kingdom, if you were to give me all of what you possess and all of what the Persians possess, who were also the superpower of the time, 
I will not leave the faith of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He says, then you will die. And he tells his archers that I want you to fire arrows at him, but I want you to fire arrows in such a way that he merely thinks that you are going to kill him. Don't hit him, don't harm him. So they take Abdullah ibn Hudhafa and they plant him upon a cross. They crucify him and they start firing arrows towards him. He does not know the plan. He thinks he's about to die. And as he is being shot, he's told, renounce your faith or the fires will flow. And he does not renounce his faith. They take him down. They realize that there's nothing we can do regarding this man. Maybe the sufferings of others will persuade him to lose his faith. And they bring some of the Muslims who are also captives in front of him. And they heat a big boiling pot in which they would put oil or which they would burn water, or which they would put water. And they would bring it to, bo to boil. And this was the chosen punishment during those times that they would drown people in this. It's an incredibly, you know, inhumane way to go. And they say to Abdullah ibn Hudafa one more time, that if you do not leave your faith, then these individuals will pass and they will be thrown into the pot as well. And this is exactly what happens because Abdullah ibn Hudhafa does not want to relinquish his faith and, and leave his faith at all. Until it comes to a point where the Roman king says to him that that's it, we've had enough of you, you are to be thrown into this pot. And when he is being taken, he begins to cry and he begins to cry and he begins to cry. The Roman king asks him and he thinks that now he has begin, he's begun to waver and that he will lose his faith. And he says, oh Abdullah, why is it that you cry? Will you finally relinquish and leave your faith? Abdullah says, the reason why I cry is that a thought has just come into my mind. And this thought is so precious to me that it makes me cry. The Roman king inquires that what is that thought? He says, only now this thought has passed my mind that I will now be departing from this world in this manner. I wish that I had a life for every hair that I have on my body. So not only can I give it up for Allah once, but I can give it up over and over again. This was that Iman which was so beautiful to them, my friends. This was the Iman which was the core of their faith. That they were not embarrassed by it, no matter whether it was the Roman kings in front of them or whether it was a person of a lowly st status. This was, or these were the Sahaba, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, that Allah said that Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the ability to bring this Iman, a portion of this Iman within our lives as well. نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله تعالى من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم ارض عن الخلفاء الراشدين الأربع أبي بكر وعمر وأثمان وعلي وعن الستة من العشرة وعن أهل بدر وعن أصحاب الشجرة وعن السابقين الأولين من المهاجرين والأنصار وعن أمهات المؤمنين وعن الصحابة رضي الله تعالى عنهم أجمعين 
اللهم اغفر لنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات وللمسلمين والمسلمات وألف بين قلوبهم وأصلح ذات بينهم وانصرهم على عدوك وعدوهم اللهم اغفر لأمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم استر أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم احفظ أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم تجاوز عن أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم عز الإسلام والمسلمين اللهم انصر الإسلام والمسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أصلح أحوال المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم أنجل مستضعفين من المؤمنين في كل مكان اللهم كن لهم عونا ونصيرا اللهم بدل خوفهم أمنا وأخرجهم من الظلمات إلى النور يا أرحم الراحمين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكروا الله يذكركم ودعوه يستجب لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة